Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. Her name is Elena Osakina, and she just published a book September 15th, 2021. Title of the book is Stalin's Quest for Gold, The Torxin Hard Currency Shops and in Soviet Industrialization. So we're going to talk about this kind of quasi-capitalistic system that was in Soviet Russia, but she can talk more about that. So Elena Osakina, are you there? Yeah, hello everyone. I hope that there are people who are listening to me right now and I hope to have more listeners uh, and viewers later. So um, just a few words about myself because of course you already hear my accent and I guess probably that I'm not uh, from the United States. Yes, I was born and uh, grew up in the Soviet Union and re defended all my dissertations, received all my degrees uh, in the Soviet Union. Um, after the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991, I uh, received several grants from the European governments and some American grants, and I began to uh, travel, which was not really that possible within the Soviet Union or from the Soviet Union. And at some point, I found a job here in the United States uh, and settled down here. And uh, currently, I'm professor of Russian history at the University of South Carolina in Columbia. Um, I teach Russian history from the very beginning, the first Slavic state uh, to present, to Putin's elections that ended just two days ago. Right. So uh, a few words uh, about how actually I came uh, to this um, topic to write about uh, a book on this uh, specific hard currency stores called Tarxin. I'm a social and economic historian. Um, I'm interested in uh, learning how the economic decisions uh, and actions influence the uh, life of people, social life. Uh, my first research was on the Stalin's distribution system of the 1930s, which included the rationing system, uh, black market, strategies of survival, um, all those interesting things. So I published several books on, on this topic. The first came in Russian, which was called Behind the Facade of Stalin's Plenty. This book is translated into English and came out under the title Our Daily Bread. So it was also translated into Italian. So when I worked on this topic on Stalin's distribution system, I found a state report that well, just um, uh, surprised me, to put it mildly. The report said that Tarxin, and I really didn't know well what it was at that time, that Tarxin stores provided enough foreign currency and gold to pay one-fifth of the uh, expenses on Soviet imports during the decisive years of Soviet industrialization. So that was really uh, a discovery because traditionally historians believed that the major source to finance Stalin's industrialization was collectivization meaning that the Soviet government pumped resources from the countryside, raw materials, uh, um, uh, grain, uh, other foodstuff to export abroad 
and through this expert they financed uh, industrialization. So the document that I found kind of challenged this uh, conclusion and pointed to a very important source of uh, currency and gold um, uh, to finance uh, Stalin's very ambitious industrial plan. And what is especially important here that this uh, uh, money, hard currency, gold, uh, came not really from foreigners, but from the Soviet people who had to exchange their family heirlooms for very simple things, bread, uh, cereal, sugar, oil, in order to survive the period of the rationing in the Soviet Union and also the mass famine of 1932-1933. So this is how I came to this idea. So, and so Tor can you talk, Torxen started, I think in 1930, can you discuss how Stalin came up with the idea and how he implemented it in, <clears throat> in the Soviet Union? Right. So, uh, Tarxin actually uh, is an acronym, uh, an abbreviation, which means a trade uh, uh, with foreigners within the Soviet Union. Right. So when it opened, uh, and it opened in 1930, that was the very beginning of Soviet industrialization that officially started in 1928. Right. Uh, so um, this, uh, the, the, uh, the stores that opened under the title Tarxin uh, were open only for uh, foreign tourists and uh, uh, foreigners who were in the Soviet Union in transit. So even uh, the foreigners who lived in the Soviet Union, who worked in the Soviet Union at that time, could not shop in these stores. So there were just a few stores and they were very insignificant. Uh, however, uh, uh, the Soviet government uh, at that time, at the end of the 1920s, the beginning of the 1930s, experienced an acute currency crisis. Uh, the problem here is that the uh, uh, gold reserve of the former Russian Empire, which was tremendous, very impressive, the biggest, as uh, scholars believe, among the reserves of the state banks uh, before the revolution of 1917, the Bolshevik revolution. So this gold reserve was already um, uh, exhausted by the beginning of the 1920s. So from uh, that 1.7 billion gold rubles that the imperial government had before the revolution, uh, uh, by the beginning of the 1920s, uh, the Soviet government had only about 200 million um, in, uh, gold rubles. So practically when Stalin began its forced ambitious industrialization that required a lot of investments because the major focus was on the heavy industries and military production. So uh, then the question on where to take gold and currency uh, in order to buy equipment abroad, technologies abroad, raw materials, this question became like a um, uh, life important question, right? So the government really experienced this gold rush when they tried to find gold uh, whenever it was possible. That, ex that was exactly the time when they began to sold the cultural heritage of Russia, the masterpieces from the best uh, Russian museums like the Hermitage in uh, former Leningrad, now St. Petersburg, and other uh, 
um, uh, very uh, important, famous collections, right? So Tarxin became one of that um, uh, uh, sources that uh, allowed uh, the government to actually to finance industrialization. So Tarxin was among many other um, uh, ideas and tactics that the government used to solve that uh, very acute um, uh, currency and gold crisis by the end of the 1920s. This is exactly why uh, uh, these stores were uh, that initially were only open for foreign tourists uh, in 1931 were opened for the population, right? With the major goal pretty much to pump resources from, from the population, to take uh, whatever people had in their uh, houses, uh, their heirlooms. Uh, so initially, uh, people were allowed only to bring czar's uh, 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 gold coins, so the imperial gold coins. However, and uh, I shall tell you that that was the time of a rationing system in the Soviet Union, um, that, and the uh, um, uh, supplies were very hierarchical. Not everyone in the Soviet Union received ration cards. Um, technically, uh, in fact, uh, the principle was who was directly involved with the industrial production could receive state rations, uh, like industrial workers, industrial engineers, of course, military personnel and the um, the Soviet elite, but more than 80% of the population, peasants, did not receive ration cards. So they uh, they were left on mercy of fate. At the same time, the government pumped resources from the countryside in order to increase export, uh, once again, to get this foreign currency and gold. So that, that time was really um, the time of hardship uh, starvation and this policy led to the mass famine of 1932-1933 when millions died uh, in the Soviet Union. So we can see that what contributed to this tremendous growth of Tarxin was not only the state desire to take gold from the population, but also uh, the mass famine. Because Tarxin was not only the strategy of survival for the government, that started this uh, um, uh, industrial breakthrough, but also that was a strategy of survival for the population, who by exchanging their uh, valuables for bread could survive the famine. So initially, as I said, they could only bring gold, but starving people uh, were bringing to the stores whatever they had, silver coins, um, artwork, uh, uh, diamonds, uh, whatever. Uh, so whatever they, they had in order to survive the famine. So we can see how this initiative from below kind of prompted the government, gave more ideas to the government, what else it could be taken from population to finance industrialization. And uh, eventually the government allowed people to bring to Tarxin not only um, gold, like coins and also gold uh, objects, but also silver, um, platinum, diamonds, oh, yeah. other precious stones, and later artwork and some other things. Can you, sorry to interrupt, but can you give me an idea how big Torxin became in Russia at that time? Was there 
a department in every major city or how how vast was its reach in russia uh, yes, the, the uh, Darkseen was like a nationwide enterprise. After it opened doors to Soviet uh, people, it began to grow at lightning uh, speed. Um, not, as I said, initially there were only a few stores for foreigners, but at its peak, at, uh, at, the, um, at the highest point of its development, Darkseen had 1,500 stores all around um, the tremendous territory of the Soviet Union. Um, uh, every big city had at least one Tarxin store. Uh, the cities like Moscow, Leningrad, they had dozens uh, Tarxin stores. Tarxin was in Siberia, in the Urals, in the Russian North, in the Caucasus, in Russian uh, Soviet uh, Central Asia, um, in um, uh, in Ukraine, in Belarus, everywhere, uh, and not only in big cities, but also in uh, smaller towns um, that attracted uh, um, um, the peasant population who, who lived uh, in the countryside and who came to the cities to exchange whatever valuable they had for, 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 for bread. Right, so, so they're exchanging hard currency or silver or platinum and all they were getting in return was government-created bread outside of ration, the rationing system, correct? Right, correct. And it actually functioned uh, differently. Uh, with the rationing system, the government um, uh, established uh, norms of supplies and also settled uh, um, uh, prices. Prices were uh, very low. Uh, um, for those who bought uh, rations. But Tarxin worked as a market enterprise. And this is what is uh, especially interesting in one of the conclusions of the book, that that was a capitalist enterprise of socialist trade. It existed in the socialist state and in, in, under the so-called marketless economy. And at the same time, it actually operated as, as a capitalist enterprise to provide uh, uh, revenues uh, for the state. Just to prove that, uh, we, it's enough to look at the prices in Tarxin. So um, there were two uh, uh, kinds of prices in Tarxin. The prices for valuables. This is the price that Tarxin paid to the owners of valuables, right? And they were below the market prices for gold, silver, diamonds. So people pretty much were giving their valuables to the state below the market price, substantially below. And the, the other level of prices were the purchasing prices. These are the prices uh, at which uh, people bought uh, food and also um, goods uh, in Tarxin. And if you compare these purchasing prices within Tarxin with the Soviet export prices, the prices at which the government sold um, uh, food abroad, you will see that the Tarxin prices were on average 3.3 times higher than the Soviet export prices. So the government sold food during the mass famine to its citizens 3.3 times more expensive than it uh, it did um, uh, for the foreigners, right? Wow. 
So um, also on uh, the the highest purchasing prices for people in Tarxin, the prices um, um, that people paid for bread in Tarxin, uh, for example, grain, uh, sugar, the highest prices existing during the mass famine. The worst time, winter of 1932-1933, spring of 1933, uh, the prices in Tarxin for bread and other foodstuff were the highest. And the government pretty much demanded that Tarxin would continue increasing prices. During the mass famine in the winter, Tarxin increased uh, prices for, for food uh, two times in a row. So you can see here that when the government opened Tarxin for the population, it didn't have a socialist goal to help the starving people um, at this very difficult time, but the government wanted to capitalize on the famine, right? And this pretty much explains why Tarxin was a very successful economic enterprise because people had nothing to do but to exchange their valuables for bread if they wanted to live, right? If they didn't receive ration cars and other ways to, to buy food were very limited, they were peasant markets, the so-called the collective farm markets. But during the famine, they had very little to offer because peasants were starving themselves. There were also the state commercial prices where prices were in ordinary rubles also very high, but also they didn't have much to offer. So that was pretty much it. So people didn't have any choice but to bring their valuables to Tarxin. And the best years of Tarxin were the years of the mass famine. And the famine, right. And how did the government justify this capitalistic enterprise within a communist slash socialist state? And there's a very simple explanation that they were building socialism and this money, they served the socialist, the communist uh, goal. And you can see like a very uh, a big irony here, very bitter irony that capitalism was serving the socialist construction, right? And people in many cases contributed to the socialist, socialism building um, um, uh, against their will, right? Because they were just saving themselves, but by doing this, they contributed to Soviet industrialization and they helped the government pretty much to um, uh, increase um, its power, military power, right? Did you ever, was there a stat, uh, statistic that showed how much money toxin or torxine generated during its, its the time the enterprise existed? Yes, and uh, the book actually uh, uh, has um, statistics and tables at the end that show exactly how much gold, silver, diamonds, uh, cash, foreign cash, uh, these stores provided for the government. Um, I can tell you just uh, one um, exceptional example, and then I will give some um, uh, total uh, figures. I can tell you that 1933 stands out as the worst year of the mass famine. And that year, people brought uh, 45 tons of pure gold to Turkson. While, for example, in comparison, it's, it makes sense to compare with the industrial mining to see how much the, the industries mined that year. So the industries uh, that employed... Um, 
non-prison labor, free labor, um, gave uh, um, 50 uh, tons of pure gold. So if you compare it 45 from Tarxin and 50 from the industries, you'll see that Tarxin um, actually worked as well as the um, gold industrial gold production in the Soviet Union. But Tarxin, Tarxin's gold was much cheaper because uh, industrial gold mining uh, requires a lot of investments and physical um, um, uh, investments. So it takes a lot of money and physical strength to produce gold. Gold is not cheap, right? But Tarxin is just a store. What you need to do is you just open like a, a room where will be uh, somebody who will um, um, appraise your valuables. You come here, you show it to this person, he appraises it, uh, you agree with this, uh, with this price, uh, he takes your gold, uh, you receive the so-called Tarxin gold rubles, which were only like coupons, papers, uh, just pieces of paper. And then you can go and buy with uh, papers in Tarxin. So Tarxin did not require big investments. Its gold was cheap, right? So when you compare this 45 uh, tons of pure gold from Tarxin in 1933 and 50 tons of pure gold from the industrial mining, you understand that uh, uh, Tarxin's gold cost much, much less, right? And isn't, I, it, isn't I, it kind of ironic too that I thought in my understanding is that the famine of 20, of 32 and 33, the government was involved in, in part of creating that famine, is that correct? Uh, you know, there are different, I would say there are two um, big uh, schools of thought that explain, interpret this famine differently. There is uh, the Ukrainian school that view, uh, of course, Ukraine suffered the most among the Soviet republics um, uh, from this famine because Ukraine was the major agricultural zone, the breadbasket of the Soviet Union, pretty much the place from which the government took resources, right? So the Ukrainian school, um, in the many Western scholars supported, view this famine as a genocide, deliberate genocide with the goal to punish the, specifically the Ukrainians for they call the- Holodomor, right? Holodomor? Galadamor, Holodomor. Yeah, Holodomor. However, there is another uh, school of thought to, to which I belong, right? When I teach the mass famine, I present my students with both interpretations, but I support the other's um, um, view or interpretation of the mass famine. Um, in order to explain the mass famine, you need to see how industrialization was done in the Soviet Union. What strategy Stalin chose to go with this with this ambitious program? So the idea was that they would finance the industrialization by export of the agricultural uh, resources, right? So they tried to take these resources as much as possible and as cheap as possible. This is why, as a matter of fact, they um, conducted collectivization that replaced individual collective farm, individual farms with the collective farms in order uh, to make this task easier because it's much easier to take grain from collective farms than from each individual farmer, right? So they tried to take as much as possible from the countryside and as, as cheap as possible. And at the same time, they did not supply the countryside. They didn't give, give uh, ration cards 
uh, to peasants. So they created the situation that peasants didn't have any resources. So from the appointment, from the point of view of this school, the government did not have a deliberate goal to kill peasants, but the strategy that they chose for industrialization inevitably led to that tragedy, to the to, to this mass famine. So the mass famine, according to this view, is is like an, an inevitable outcome of the certain industrialization industrialization strategy. <clears throat> and so, and wasn't wasn't it Stalin's? He had two five year plans, if I remember correctly. Is that correct? Three, three, three before the war, and they were more after the war, right? Three five-year plans uh, first started in 1928, and the third ended in 1941, one year earlier before the Nazi, because of the Nazi invasion of the, of the Soviet Union, right? So, um, uh, Tarkin, just just to go back to to these big questions, as you can see, um, allows us kind of to. Uh, to solve several um, important uh, questions that the scholars try to um, to answer. The first, how um, uh, and how the industrialization was done in the Soviet Union so quickly, because for the Soviet Union it took only like less than um, fewer than fifteen years to industrialize before they were. While for Great Britain it took. Um, more than a century, right, to industrialize. And you can't only explain it that the Soviet Union was not the first and could use the ready technologies, but also you have to look at the type of economy that they used. That was not uh, the market economy, but the state centralized economy, where they concentrated all the resources in the hands of the state. And the state then deliberately with the purpose invested in those areas that uh, the state believed were the most important to prepare for for war. Uh, this is why it was very difficult to buy good shoes in the Soviet Union because that was not the light industries, consumer, consumer industries was not their high priority. But the Soviet weapons were known to the world because this is where exactly they invested um, these resources. And Tarxin, you can see how the government, in, in some sense, we can say that Tarxin was a form of the state capitalism, when uh, the government used a very profitable market situation with the high uh, insaturated demand uh, to capitalize, right, to, to pretty much to gather so much uh, currency and valuables enough to pay one-fifth of the import expenses during the uh, uh, first half of the 1930s. So it's no, really- it's a huge, huge number. It's an enormous, so it's yeah. a really substantial. Since it's successful, how long did Torxin last? Did it last through the war? Uh, no, Torxin was closed uh, officially February 1st, uh, 1936. And there were reasons for that. First of all, that uh, after the mass famine, the food situation in the country um, substantially improved, right? And uh, as, as a result, people's interest uh, on, uh, for dark scene uh, fell, right? Now they could buy, uh, rationing system was abolished in 1935. People could buy now food in many stores without sacrificing their heirlooms. Uh, the second uh, important thing here that 
uh, the mass famine lasted for so long in the Soviet Union and uh, was so uh, severe, then uh, we can say that probably uh, the, the line portion of the valuable savings of the population was already extracted uh, through Tarxin, right? And the third reason why it was closed is that by the mid uh, of 1930s, the Soviet uh, gold um, industries were operating already very well. And uh, the input, uh, sorry, the output of the industries uh, uh, grew every year. And uh, uh, in the second half of the 1930s, the Soviet Union, as a matter of fact, reached the second place in the uh, world gold um, uh, production. So there was no need for dark scene anymore. The government didn't need it and people also didn't need it anymore. So it became unprofitable and it was closed, right? So, but uh, just, uh, it, it looks like we are coming to, uh, to, yeah. to the conclusion. So uh, I just uh, wanted to stress a few interesting things, conceptual, important things. So as I said, Tarkin explains us how uh, the Soviet Union was industrialized, where the government took that gold in a foreign currency. But it also allows us uh, to look at how the Soviet economy was functioning. So that traditional view that um, presented Soviet economy as marketless, this, this view is challenged, right? You can see that not only the black market existed that uh, developed through, through mass initiative by people from below, but you can see that also the government, the state contributed to the, to the development of the, of the market uh, institutions and you can see Tarxin as a, as a very um, impressive uh, example of, of this. And one more thing uh, um, I believe what is important, it kind of uh, enriches our understanding of Stalinism as a phenomenon of the 20th century. Uh, what is Stalinism? Scholars answered this question differently. The first uh, school, uh, the school of the Cold War that looked at Stalinism, uh, mostly viewed it as an ideology and a repressive political system. So this uh, school of thought is known as the totalitarian school because they believed that Stalin uh, was successful uh, to establish the total control over the society. So they viewed Stalinism as the ideological and political phenomenon. Then the revisionists came, the social historians, and they said, no, Stalinism was a social uh, phenomenon because you can see the social support to his reforms. They were big groups within the society who actually were interested in industrialization because it provided new jobs, it provided promotion, right? So they uh, uh, showed Stalinism as, as, um, as a social phenomenon, right? So then the post-revisionists came, the, the so-called postmodernist, and they begin to view Stalinism as a cultural phenomenon with uh, a new type of behavior, uh, um, speech, um, symbols, right? So um, this book, my book, since I'm a social uh, socioeconomic historian, it presents Stalinism as a, as a socioeconomic phenomenon, right? That uh, Stalinism presents a, a, some a um, combination of very interesting socioeconomic 
institutions um, that were based on the industrial priorities, including the market mechanism, a wide variety of the market mechanisms that the Soviet government used to achieve their goal of industrialization. So on the one hand, you can look at it and say, oh, it's just the stores. It's just a very limited story of some trade. But when you can look through the story of the stores, you can look at Soviet industrial development, Soviet economy, and Stalinism as the phenomenon. Right. Great. That's a great way to sum it up. Very fascinating talk. Where's the best place for people to obtain this book? Stalin, let's see. Uh, it's available everywhere. Yes. Yes, on Amazon, yeah, on, on Amazon Walmart sells it, and uh, uh, the best prices uh, on Amazon and Walmart. Um, uh, it's available. Um, it's in hardcover, but um, but also in Kindle available, which is cheaper. And uh, eventually, I hope it will be in uh, in um, that paper. Yeah. Oh, the paper, paperback. When, yeah. Paperback. Um, yeah, well, it just came out. Elena, where's the best place if, if people want to reach out to you or have any questions? Do you have social media? Uh, the best uh, way to reach me is by email, right? This is how my people find me. Um, my email address, uh, just go to uh, University of South Carolina, Department of History. Yeah, they'll find you yeah. there, yeah. I'm the cool. only historian of Russia there with the Russian name, right? <laughs> so See my email address. Again, the title of the book is Stalin's Quest for Gold, The Toric Scene, Hard Currency Shops, and Soviet Industrialization. Thank you so much. Really fascinating discussion. Stay there. Stay there. Stay there. Okay.